I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get Is by letting them talk So I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science Then let them in talk up their body Another one body Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am not your host, PTF. Apparently, he's, uh, well, I know what he's doing. He's, he's been mugging uh, 55 text messages about some live uh, Greekness podcast we're doing tonight. So, that's what he's doing. I am your host, Jonathan Kitchen. It is Greekness Week. So, some of you are traveling, some of you are handicapping, some of you are still licking your wounds from the derby. That's what the derby does to you, right? It's like, you either score out of the derby, you're living uh, great, have had great dinners, <laughs> uh, bought that one thing you've been like thinking about buying for a long time, or you're telling yourself, oh my God, I got the pregnancy coming up, and then I got the Belmont, I got to figure this out. So hopefully you're in the, uh, in the score situation. If you're not, hopefully your attempts this weekend with the Preakness, uh are lucrative. I want to thank our friends at Qatar Racing. Uh, what an unbelievable derby week they had uh, with You Almost Had Me, uh, who is looking, I believe is pointing to the stake the day after the Belmont. That's, that's what I heard from, uh, today from another half of the partnership from, from Qatar, so I'm hoping that's true. If it's not, then I was just kidding. I think it is. Um, also Caravelle, who uh, I'm hoping, I'm assuming, is going to be running overseas across the pond, and I think I might go. Uh, hopefully, Sheikh Fahad and, the, and my friends at Guitar can sort me out with a pass here or there. But I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking about going to Ascot. Why not? Ask it, Ascot? I don't know, whatever. The hat, tails, I'll be there. And, um, and, and then they also had Ever So Machinist, who I'm excited about seeing uh, that horse shows up next. So an outstanding weekend for Guitar Racing. Thanks again for their support. And uh, this week, we've got Grand Motion. I don't know why I was thinking, I was thinking Freakness, I was thinking Maryland. I was thinking, oh, wait a second. Animal Kingdom uh, had that unfortunate second, fortunate for Dale, unfortunate for, for Graham and Triple Crown Lure. Uh, but he ran well there. Graham, a, a guy that spends a lot of time in, in the Mid-Atlantic. And I thought, what better, what better person to have this week than Grand Motion? And we had a fun conversation. We talked a lot about Animal Kingdom. Uh, better talk now. Uh, we talked about uh, just his involvement in, in, in understanding of grass racing, and, and that was a. I, I started peppering him with questions, handicapping questions about grass racing. So I think you'll enjoy it. But I will stop talking. I'll get you into this to this conversation with Graham. Motion and get you back handicapping for the Preakness, my friend, Graham Motion. Graham, what's going on? Everything's good. Good to hear from you. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time. It's, uh, it's, it's Derby Preakness week, so we'll just start this conversation with Animal Kingdom. Um, one of my favorite horses of all time, you know, his career was interesting because he, he, he had like really a couple of big highlights, but even some of his second place efforts to me were like some of his best, you know, I, I thought his, his, uh, his run it, to, 
to Wise Dan, I thought was outstanding. And then also, you know, since it's Preakness week, that run was amazing too, although he didn't get his picture taken on those days. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the coolest thing you can do is show up at Pimlico with the Derby winner. I mean, it, it just doesn't get any better than that, right? Because everybody wants you to win the Preakness if you won the Derby. I mean, other than the other eight or ten horses in the race. Um, but everybody's rooting for you. It's just a very cool feeling to arrive at Pimlico with the Derby winner. Well, let's let's go back to that to that Derby. I think there's a lot of fun conversations around Animal Kingdom. Uh, John Panagot, that, that used to work with you, uh, told me a, a funny part, a funny story that he said he wasn't sure if you would remember. But Animal Kingdom's last breeze, uh, you didn't have your badge, and they almost didn't let you to the front side to watch the work. Do you remember that? Yeah, I have an impossible time finding my way around Churchill. I mean, everyone thinks in Kentucky that you you know your way around Churchill, right? Whenever I go there, I get confused. So John and I were trying to, we finally got Animal Kingdom to Churchill to have his last breeze. But you got to remember, this horse had never, he'd never run on the dirt. I don't think I'd ever breezed him on the dirt. So we waited every weekend for it to stop raining to get him to Churchill to breeze him on the dirt. And then that Sunday, I believe it was a Sunday, John and I were there. And, you know, we got Robbie Alvarado breezed him and we got all sorted out. But now you've got to get to the front side. And I didn't know you could cut through the middle and all this stuff. So we finally get around the front side and then we're running up and down and all the doors are locked. So we can't, we can't figure out how to get in the grandstand. I think we finally got up there just before he hit the pole. Um, and he worked great. You know, look, he, that was one of those works where, you know, I'd always heard about how important the kind of last work before the Derby was and, and how it could really be a, a, a sign of what was to come after he breezed that day. Because I think a lot of people forget his work before that wasn't great, right? It, it, Keeneland wasn't it kind of a disaster. Didn't something go wrong? He was getting a little tricky at Keeneland. Um, I can't exactly remember, to be honest, but it was really important that we breezed him on the dirt before we ran in the Derby. That was something that Barry and I had talked about. You know, we wanted to see him breeze on the dirt one time. After that, that breeze, were you, were you pretty optimistic? I mean, did you, did you get, did you get very confident after that? Or were you still like, Oh, we got a mile and a quarter. We got a 20 horse field. Or did your confidence level go to, if I can get a trip, I can win. First of all, I am never confident. I don't, it doesn't matter what I run. I'm never confident. But I, um, you know, after we breezed, all of a sudden I heard all the chatter was about my horse and, you know, Robbie was really excited about him. And I heard that Baffert had watched the breeze and he was like, that's the horse to beat. So for me, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. Now I, I had, uh, I had um, Mike Rapoli, um, I had Angel on recently and, and they both kind of told the other side of this story, but you got a pretty important phone call. Uh, the morning of the draw, if I'm not mistaken, from Todd Pletcher. Yeah, I did. Um, I can't remember if it was a phone call or if we were we were walking into the parking lot for the draw. And once again, I think I was probably confused as to where I was supposed to be. Um, but I, me- I remember running into Todd and he said, look, you know, we're going to enter, but we're not sure this is going to work. Um, we're going to be able to run. So, so Johnny might be available. And I can't remember going back if he actually entered Uncle Mo or he didn't enter him. I, f- I feel like I remember him drawing the 18. 
I don't know why if that I don't know if that's true or not. I think I remember him drawing the 18 and then scratching. I think maybe they because you know they they take the entries early. So I think maybe he was hopeful that he would come around. And when he when he didn't, I think that they just kind of made the decision. I I, I feel yeah, like I, he entered. What happened was so we had Robbie on our horse. This is how it played out. We had Robbie on our horse, but Robbie got hurt on the sort of the Monday or the Tuesday of that of Derby week. Um, he had a pretty bad spill. I think it was in the post parade. Um, so, yes, at some point that week, I got a call from Todd and he said, look, I know Robbie's hurt, but I'm not sure we're going to be able to run. So don't don't do anything drastic because Johnny might become available, um, which was kind of fate because, I mean, Johnny, of all the jockeys in the colony, I would say we were probably the closest. You know, our kids went to school together. Um, we go back a long way. So. You know, that made it a little bit surreal. Um, Barry Irwin, the team Vallis, felt that if, uh, if Robbie didn't ride on Oaks Day, um, it probably wasn't fair to the partners to let him ride Derby Day, you know, to let him ride our horse Derby Day. So uh, he made the decision on Oaks Day that since Robbie wasn't riding, we had to do something. And uh, by then we knew Johnny was available. So I, I remember, I don't think I even called Angel. I think I knew where Johnny was staying and we met you know, outside the hotel room. And I said, look, I'd, I'd like you to ride this horse if it, if it works out. Now, I, I, another story that I didn't know about Animal Kingdom was um, was how you became friendly with, with Andy Reid, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. He, I guess he came to Fairhill at some point or, in, or maybe came to, to, to Pimlico and, and, and was there when Animal Kingdom in, to the lead up to the Preakness? Yeah, so the, the main scout, um, Brett Veach, for the Eagles, he was a, a University of Delaware graduate. I think he played quarterback at University of Delaware. And he's always been a big horse racing guy. Um, so he'd gotten in touch with me after the Derby and said, you know, it'd be really cool if we could come out to Fair Hill and watch the Animal Kingdom train. So he came out with Andy um, spent the morning, watched him train. It, he's a great guy. I mean, um, I spent a couple of days with Andy because we, we ended up going back to watch the, uh, the Eagles training one day. Um, so I've kind of kept in touch ever since. It was a great experience. He was amazed at how many things we do similarly with the horses as they do with the athletes. Um, I went back and... Uh, you know, we watched the Eagles train one day with my assistant, Adrian and Dave Rock at the time. Uh, literally spent a couple of hours there one afternoon and hung out with Andy Reid in the office and just chatted. And it was uh, something I'll never forget. Well, with Animal Kingdom, um, looking back at his past performances, I mean, he, he, he was a grade one quality animal on all three services, right? I mean, obviously he... Uh, won the, the Derby on the dirt. Um, and then the Dubai World Cup was was on synthetic. And I don't, you run second to Wise Dan in the Breeders' Cup mile, you're a grade one turf horse to me as well. W what do you think was his best surface? So you got to remember when he ran in the Breeders' Cup, he hadn't run since I want to say February. Um, so when I suggested to Barry uh, that I thought we should take a shot at the Breeders' Cup, I mean, I think most people would have thought that was the craziest thing they've ever heard. Um, you know, Barry was just crazy enough to go along with me. So, I mean, I think that was, I, I agree with you that that was one of his 
biggest races probably. I mean, if you watch the rerun of that race, he had the most brutal trip. He didn't get out until maybe the 16th pole, and he was absolutely flying um, with Rafael Bejarano. Uh, but yeah, I think, look, at the end of the day, probably he was a superior turf horse. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to, to, to run him on any surface. I mean, his derby was incredibly impressive. His Preakness, I think he was unlucky. I kicked myself that day because I, I was a little concerned. He was pretty wound up. And I just said to Johnny, and I should have kept my mouth shut, but I just said, you know, I'm just worried that he's going to be too sharp. Um, sure enough, doesn't he break a step slow, which cost him the race, I think. Um, so it would be very hard to say which was his best surface. He, he handled all three surfaces. He was just a great horse, really good horse. What do you remember? What sticks out to you about that week? You know, with it being Preakness week and you, and you talked about – you know, the, the, there's nothing better than, than, than having the, the Derby winner at Pimlico leading up to the Preakness. What, what did you, what, what really stood out about that week for you in terms of, I mean, were you, were you like unbelievably nervous or did you feel like you were kind of playing with house money at that point and, and you knew you had a good horse and you knew if you could work it out, you could win? Where were you at that week? I was really edgy because, you know, the day after you win the Derby, everybody wants to talk about the Preakness. So you've already moved on from the Derby. You haven't even really had a chance to, to enjoy the Derby when you're starting to talk about the Preakness. Um, I must say, I think I was surprised at how much interest there was in him and, and us. Uh, I remember showing up, but you know, my house is about a mile from Fair Hill. And I showed up at the house one morning with the a crew from ESPN or maybe NBC probably. And my wife was still in a dressing gown. And I think that was like the last straw. She said, this is ridiculous. Um, so, you know, things like that. It was just very intense. And, and you're kind of on tender hooks because you, you really want to get to Pimlico. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and, and you know, like you said, I mean, breaking a step slow and, and, and Shackelford, you know, got a pretty comfortable trip that day not to take anything away from dale and and, and shackleford but you know i i mean i i whoever worked out the better trip that day could have won and if animal kingdom would have had a better trip i think he would have won and I, I think dale would probably agree with that um and then the belmont obviously was just a horrible trip you, you know at that point you really couldn't be disappointed he actually ran pretty good considering the trip yeah so going back to the preakness a couple of things stick out of my mind first of all you know, I know what a big deal it was for Dale to win the Derby. So he was gutted that we beat him that day. And, and he was the one that actually led me down to the winner's circle. Because, you know, when you're up there in the grandstand, you don't really know where you're going. We just won the Derby. We're trying to get down there. I literally grabbed onto the back of his jacket. And he's follow, he's like, follow me down to the winner's circle because I didn't know where to go. <laughs> and once again, I was lost at Churchill. So, you know, I've always been friends with Dale. I knew what a big deal it would have been for him to win the Derby. So it was a little ironic that he came back and, and beat us in the Preakness. I will say one thing that always bothered me about that day was, you know, we don't run at Pimlico very long and there was a lot of new dirt put on the track and we kind of ran in the middle of the track and I always felt that there was a little bit of an edge to the horses on the inside. Um, that being said, uh, I thought he ran great. We moved on to the Belmont. Um, he stumbled coming out of the gate or got knocked pretty good. And I, I would imagine, you know, he came out of the Belmont with an injury, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he must have done it at some point in the early part of the race. And the fact that he ran so well 
um, while dealing with that injury was was pretty remarkable, to be honest. Graham, there's a, a picture on your Twitter. Uh, it says pre-race strategizing session uh, with Cole Cowell Racing in the Maidon Hotel. You guys are sitting in the hallway. What, what were you guys talking about that day? So Robert and I have a pretty ridiculous relationship. We've been friends since uh, since we were in we were in Europe together. I met my wife that summer. Um, Robert was there. We were working for different trainers, and you know Robert would always meet us in Dubai. I'd been lucky enough to be over there a couple of times before. So here we were. You know we arrived with the uh, the favorite for the Dubai World Cup, which is pretty crazy in itself. And I think the, the morning of the race, the, the girls all wanted to go shopping, but that was like the last thing I could have done. Um, so Robert and I just sat outside in my hotel room discussing ridiculous stories and, and strategizing the race. <laughs> was the plan that day to, to go to the front or was that just what, was that Joel being Joel, finding himself in places that I don't expect him to be sometimes? Or was that kind of the plan? I was very nervous that night because I just wanted to be sure Joel and I were on the same page. And, and I find with Joel, you never quite know. Um, we'd watched races together. We'd watched Animal Kingdom's race. But when we actually got to Dubai, you know, the night of the race, I, I'd been anxious all week because I felt the horse was just doing so well. You know, you're kind of on tender hooks. He's doing so well. You don't want something to happen. He was a little unpredictable at that time. You know, Alice rode him every day but he was not an easy horse to ride. Um, so A, I was anxious because I didn't want something to happen. And B, I just felt like he was ready to explode at any second. I don't think I've ever gone into a race feeling like a horse was doing as good as he was doing that week. Um, so, you know, the night of the race, I just remember anxiously trying to chat with Joel about it and just coming up with a bit of a strategy. But we just felt that that night we could not be too far off the pace at all. And so, you know, we've, we've talked to Derby, Preakness, Belmont. We'll, we'll talk Breeders' Cup. We'll, we've, we've talked Dubai World Cup. But I, I want to kind of take a step back because I, I really don't know kind of your origin story. I mean, I know that you, that you came from the U.K., but I don't know a lot about how it all unfolded. So let's start with another big race from the home country. What does the Grand National mean to you for especially just to kind of the American audience that might not know as much about it. And then we'll kind of work into, because uh, I think you, we'll probably touch on your, your family being involved in, in some grand national success. And then what led you to the U S so we'll go grand national and then journey to the U S. Yeah. So my mom was probably one of the first women in racing um, back in the forties, I guess. Um, you know, she worked as a stable lad in England and uh, she took herself to work every day on a motorbike, which was not something that women did in those days, I'm sure. Um, but she ended up riding this horse called Nickel Coin, who uh, ran in the Grand National and won. And she was probably, I believe it was the last mare to have won the Grand National. It was a year that there were a lot of fallers at the first fence. Um, but my mom exercised nickel coin. She hunted nickel coin back in those days, steeplechasers went hunting, you know, that's, that was one form of their exercise. So obviously there's been a, a pretty close racing connection because of that. Um, I think my mom has lived vicariously through my career, because I think it's something that she would have, you know, she would have loved to have done. Um, at one point she had an opportunity when we first moved to this country, she was offered a job 
uh, as a steward actually in Kentucky by Mr. Bassett, Ted Bassett. And she just didn't feel like she could do it at the time, but she was really a bit of a pioneer and one of the first women on the racetrack over here. I have an amazing picture of her galloping a horse on Oklahoma at Saratoga with a headscarf on. Um, so, you know, racing is pretty thick in our blood. It was something that I decided pretty early on is what I wanted to do. Uh, my dad worked for Tattersalls, which would be the equivalent of Phasic Tipton over here. Um, Tattersalls is the auctioneer company in, uh, in Newmarket in England. And so, you know, he was always aware of sales, traveling. And the reason we moved to this country was because he spent so much time over here at the sales. But we just felt that uh, I think they felt that it was better for us all to be to be living in the States. And actually, both my sisters were born in the States. So it's a little bit of a crazy story that my parents moved across the Atlantic twice. Did do, do you uh, what do you think about kind of the new trend? And it feels like a new trend of, you know, people going over to Tattersalls and buying more grass type horses to bred horses to run over here in the U.S. I mean, I would imagine that the beginning of your career over here was 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 more trying to adjust to the dirt. And now there's this emphasis on grass racing in the U.S. Yeah, I'm still slightly mystified how in this country we don't go looking to buy grass yearlings. You know, at the sales, people still, you know, gather gather the, people still fall on dirt horses they're not going out looking for for top grass yearlings um i think it makes a lot of sense i think the proofs in in what chad's been able to do with with a lot of his clients going out and buying these uh these turf pedigrees in in europe i mean let's face it turf racing has become such a big part of of, of racing over here they're the races that fill the money's phenomenal. The money just for the three-year-olds alone in the grass racing is, is huge. So I, I think there's been a huge change in this country, and it always amuses me, really, that people don't go looking for, for grass horses. It still sort of seems to be the philosophy is, well, you try them in the grass if they, if they don't handle the dirt. And, and is, do you, what would you describe your, if we're riding on an elevator, and I said, you know, Graham, what kind of horses do you look for at the sale? I'm, I'm, I would assume that, with your clients, it's different, but do you, do you find yourself looking specifically for grass horses? Uh, I don't think I go specifically looking for them, but if I see a horse with a grass pedigree that I like, I'm, I'm not going to shy away from it. That's for sure. Do you, do you think with your experience and, uh, you know, with your mother's background, also working with Jonathan Shepard for a little while, could could I send you a, a, a steeplechase horse and we could win a couple of races, or is that just is that something that you've 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 uh, a club in your in your golf bag that you you tossed out? So I actually tried it with a horse for Jill Johnson, who's a pretty big steeplechase owner, and I had some flat horses for her, and and one horse was a little disappointing on the flat, and she said she might make it into a jumper, and I said, well, why don't you give me a shot and I'll I'll run him a couple of times and see how it goes, and I think I ran him twice and thought he'd do much better with Jack Fisher. So that was my brief steeplechase training career. How much different is it? I mean, is it, it feels, it, it feels more like, I don't know, just from the outside looking in who I, I couldn't, I couldn't handicap myself out of a, a wet paper sack when it comes to jump racing, but it feels like it's more of a, like more of a training of a dog type of thing, like a sit and, sit and stay type of deal, trying to get them 
to to learn to jump over those things it's always been very confusing to me yeah it's actually not that different i mean when we worked for jonathan there was very little look i worked for jonathan shepherd we had stormcat and we had a horse called flatterer so we had this amazing two-year-old and if you think how many two-year-olds jonathan trained in his career you could probably count them on one hand right so it was always amusing to me that he had this phenomenal two-year-old stormcat and we also had flatterer but you know they trained they could even train on the same set it, it wasn't necessarily done in a different style um once the horses pick up on the jumping if they were natural jumpers it didn't take a lot to keep them um ticking over you know jonathan would school them maybe a week before the race he'd, he'd take them and run them down some fences a couple of times but as far as the day-to-day -day training we really didn't do things a lot differently and then where in the journey did uh herringswell stables come about and, and, where, and where did the name come from I, I assume that it had something to do with back home but i i'd let you tell the story yeah so herringswell's a village about six miles outside newmarket where i grew up um, my parents had a, a horse farm there, Herringswell Stud, where we boarded mares and, and such. Um, and that actually eventually became a breaking yard where a lot of two, after we left, a lot of two-year-olds would go there to be broken for the big trainers in Newmarket, Henry Cecil. Um, uh, a lot of the big guys had their two-year-olds broken there. And actually my wife worked there. Um, so it was kind of a funny story that we had both, we ended up both spending time in similar places, my wife and I, and Jonathan Shepherd had always called his operation Ashwell Stables after the village that he was brought up in in England. So I went with Herringswell Stables for, uh, for that reason. Before we get too far away from England, um, a, f a friend of mine, I'm sure you saw this weekend, uh, one of my friends owns one of the two-year-old's that uh, George Weaver trained that won the, the two-year-old turf sprints that's going to go over to Royal Ascot. And I always told myself I wanted to go, but I didn't really, you know, if I'm going to put, like, you see how I dress. If I'm going to put on a coat and tails, like, I got to, like, have a full experience. I don't want to just go over there and be some mope. I want to be in the Royal Enclosure. I want to be with my friend who has a horse. I want to go to the paddock. And so I think I might go for the first time. Um, so before you tell me the story about how you watched a race in the queen's box, you got to give me the, the Royal Ascot, uh, advice. What, how do I, how do I attack this thing? You got to do it. You got to, you, you need to get a driver for one thing. You need to get there early. You got to go to the parking lot, and the big picnic before the races, which is way more lavish than a, a football tailgate. I mean, we're talking, you know, champagne, fancy glasses, um, it's just a, it's a great celebration. Everybody done up in their top and tails. Um, and then you've got a full day of racing, you know, whether you're in a, in a box, which is, you know, the, the boxes are phenomenal, um, you know, and just seeing so many people and it's just such a, it's such a different experience with everybody being so dressed up and it's just a beautiful environment with the most amazing horse racing. So you got to do it. You got to take it all in and you'll want to do more than one day. I'm sure. And then how about the time that you watched a race uh, with the queen in her box? Yeah. So I, uh, I think probably maybe the first time we took Miss Temple city over. Um, first of all, I mean, Ascot treat you very well. They, they could not be any more accommodating to, to us when we go over there. And I believe I was up in a, uh, might've been the day before Miss Temple city ran or the day after, but I was up in a suite with uh, some of the connections from Ascot. 
And somebody came in and took me aside and said, uh, uh, well, actually, I was having a conversation with somebody. I said, I need to talk to him. And I said, well, give me a minute. I'm just talking to, to my owners. You know, I'll, I'll be there. No, they said, we need to talk to you right now. So I said, okay, okay. Um, they took me aside and said, you know, the Queen's asked you to come and sit and watch a race with her. So, of course, I was, you know, being from England, that's a pretty big deal. Um, so he said, well, get your wife and we'll set off. I said, well, I'll get my wife, but my son is here. I mean, I can't not go. Oh, no, no, there's no mention of your son coming. It's just you and your wife. I was like, well, I can't go and not take my son. So he said, hold on a minute. You know, let me find out. So we ended up going down there with my son, Chappie. Um, and the three of us spent a, a race or two in, in the royal box, and I sat next to the queen. And I, the hardest thing for me was just reminding myself that I was sitting next to the queen because it was very easy to get kind of relaxed and have a normal conversation, but you had to sort of keep your guard and just remember that uh, that you were sitting next to the queen. It was very cool. I'll never forget it. Did you like growing up in, in you know in England? Did you know the rules, the to, the do's and the do nots, or did you? have to kind of remind yourself of them? Because I, I mean, I wouldn't even know what they are. I know that there are some pretty kind of tricky things you can and can't do. Uh, did you did you, did you you know those things? Did you have to be kind of reminded? I went to English boarding school, so you're kind of brought up with that stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fairly natural. I just, uh, you, you just had to, it was very easy to get very relaxed with her and it's, I, it's not really something you can do, but it was, it was a super experience. And I actually met her again at another event a year or so later and uh we had a we chatted about uh, churchill downs and the derby and she just had this amusing story that she said to me she said you know we were up in this uh up in the suites at churchill and all i wanted to do was go out and watch the race on the balcony but the security wouldn't let me go out there <laughs> which i was very amused about that she was sharing with me that the security wouldn't let her do something so just if if I ever meet royalty, just give me the, the the initial idea. So when you go to shake someone's hand, like what I guess it's different with the queen and the king, right? Like how you shake their hand. I mean, definitely take your hat off. Definitely. Okay, I would start there. I okay. think uh, I don't know if you bow to the to the king. I I don't quite know what the etiquette is with the king, but I just be very cautious. That's all. I'm just gonna bow. I mean, you can't go wrong, right? Like, <laughs> you can't go just... wrong with that. I mean, if you over, if you're, if you're too nice, it can't, you mean, it's like, it's better than probably not bowing. If you're supposed to, I'll just go with the bow. I would. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. The hat's not going to fit my head. The hat is awkward. I will tell you one of the hardest things I've ever done is try to saddle a horse with a top hat on. That is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't even own a suit. I'm getting married in a couple of weeks. I had to go buy two suits, but you need to do it right. You need to go to the right place in London and get the right gear. You got to do it. There's an etiquette here. You got to do it properly. Yeah. I won't, I won't do it wrong. I'll, gotta, I'll do, I'll do the, the whole thing. thing. You got to get the right waistcoat. You got to get the right, you know, the right, you got to, you got to do it right. I will. I will. In fact, we're, we're, uh, I get married in Italy in a couple of weeks on the way back. We're stopping in London. I'll probably do a little pre-run through a shop. I'll get my friend Nick Luck to, to send me to the right place. He will send you to the right place. No doubt about it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. You don't want to show up all shabby. <laughs> I have a feeling I can't wear one of my shirts is what you're telling me. I think you'll do fine. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk breeders cup. Some of your, your highlights will, will uh, share to count. Uh, John Panagot said uh, to, to ask you about how, uh, he had run a bad race or she had run a bad race, excuse me. Um, 
on a bog course at Belmont and that Kevin Plank gave you a pep talk in the Belmont tunnel. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I, I remember the most about the day was after the race, Kevin turned to me and he said, I need to go to a football game. <laughs> but, but, you know, the irony of it was, was that we went on to the Breeders' Cup and I think we were 45 to one. Um, incredible experience. I mean, most of my Breeders' Cup wins have been a pretty good price, really. Maybe not sharing main sequence, but better talk now was 27 to one when he won uh, my first Breeders' Cup in Texas, which was just, you know, those are, those stick out. You don't forget those days. Now, with shared account, I mean, like you said, a huge price that day. Did, did Were you confident? Did the pep talk work that, that, that Kevin gave you that, that you were going to be okay? I mean, I always thought this filly was that caliber. Um, I mean, I think the coolest thing about that year is that I was racing against, and I'm so bad with names, but Henry Cecil had the favorite um, for that race that year. And I mean, Henry Cecil was my childhood idol. You know, I watched... We could only watch racing on television one one day a week in England when I was growing up on a Saturday. And I would just, you know, Henry Sessa was the guy that you you kind of idolized as a kid. If you were getting into horse racing, that's who you looked up to, right? So here I was running shared account against maybe Midway, was it? That um, sounds about right. Midway. Anyway, so that was a thrill um, just to be competing with those guys, let alone being able to beat them in, the, in a race like the Breeders' Cup. And, and I've, you know, I, I would imagine this, she wasn't the first, sharing wasn't the first, you know, offspring connection of a fun horse you've had, but obviously I would think she's probably the best that was connected to your previous successes. But when you got her in your barn, um, I'm sure that was a special moment, but I got to ask you before we get to that, did you think she was going to win on the dirt that day? Um, probably not. No. She was, and she didn't, she did it like impressively too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, she, she was always very classy, that filly. Um, you know, she was a lot like her mother and just always did things very professionally. In, in the Breeders' Cup, I, she drew pretty poorly, right? I mean, wasn't she in the 11 that day? I believe she was, yeah. Were you optimistic? Were you, uh, and, and, and you and I have had some private conversations. I, I you, you, you do mention the draw often. Um, and, and I, I would imagine that, you know, I mean, it's important, right. In turf racing, losing ground. Were you optimistic that day when she drew out there? Again, I don't think I'm ever optimistic. Um, I felt really good about running her that year. Um, I, I hated the draw, uh, but I felt really good about running her. She, I knew she belonged. Now let's go better talk now. Um, and, and we talked about this when we did cart talk, but just as a reminder for those who didn't hear it, your first Breeders' Cup win was the same day and the same site of my first Breeders' Cup. So, you know, I, I like to say that maybe I was your Breeders' Cup. Good luck. And my first Breeders' Cup too, right? That was my first year I ever went. See, look at that. And that was my that was my home track. That's where I, I, I grew up 20 minutes from there, and that's where, where I used to go all the time, uh, Lone Star Park. Coolest and, Breeders' Cup. That to me was the the coolest Breeders' Cup. I mean, maybe partly because it was uh, my first, but it was it was uh, amazing. We had a crazy time there. A um, couple of crazy experiences. What, what were some of those? What was some of the, it's 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 Texas, so things can get wild down there. <laughs> so 
we got there. So you got to realize my first Breeders' Cup, we have three horses. We had filmmaker Dance Away Capote was running in the juvenile fillies and better talk now. Um, second day we were there uh, after arriving in Texas. I'd never been to Texas before. My groom went up to get licensed in the, in the racing office or the licensing office and never came back. I had no idea he wasn't legal. Um, I never saw him again. He, he was arrested. He was taken to down, downtown. And that was, so I was now left with, uh, with just my wife and I and the exercise rider with three horses, um, which made for an interesting time, not to mention worrying about where my groom had been taken to, you know, which we obviously tried to work with. Um, my wife got bitten really badly by Better Talk Now. Uh, he was quite nasty. Um, and he grabbed her pretty good on the arm one day. And I think at the end of the second day after all this had happened, we were sitting at the, in the restaurant in that hotel where all of us stayed, or a lot of us stayed. And my wife and I were having lunch, and a lady managed to pour a whole tray, a tray of Bloody Marys right over the top of me. And my wife absolutely burst out into laughter, and I was obviously not amused at that point after the day we'd had. So I had to walk back and do the walk of shame all the way through the lobby, seeing all my contemporaries in the hotel. So I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of good behind the scenes on better talk now from, from, from folks close to you. So um, Jane reminded me of, or wanted me to remind you of a story of when the morning show station came to see better talk now. And they asked you, <laughs> the lady asked you to give, to give him a kiss. I honestly don't remember that at all. She, she, she said, she actually did say, she did tell me that you have a bad memory. Yeah, she said bad. that, uh, well, she said that the, uh, the, the camera lady or the, the interviewer was like, why don't you give him a kiss? And you're like, I'm not giving him a kiss. And right at that moment, he snapped at the camera. Yeah. He had a very, a pretty mean streak. He was well known for his mean streak. Um, the extended cup blinker that you used on him early in his career what, what was that uh how did all that unfold i mean he was costing himself races he kept lugging in and uh, you know the jocks weren't able to ride him and we just knew if we you know ramon I, you know this was when i first kind of ramon and i first hooked up and he just had such an extraordinary rapport with some horses you know i had a couple of good horses around that time better talk now a called confessional and he just had a, a remarkable way of getting on with these horses. But we knew that we had to do something fairly significant to stop this horse from lugging in because it was starting to cost him races. And as he was getting better and better, it was going to cost him an important race. And it really did the trick. As much as I disliked having to use it, it, it really did change him around. You've talked a lot. I've heard you talk a lot about Ramon um, and and I've heard lots of people talk, uh, even when I had angel on, he, he said that, you know, he's describing kind of IRAD's run of, of dominance that he's kind of in right now. And he, he said that, you know, uh, that he saw that with, with Ramon as well. And he was like one of a few riders. What, what you know, if, if, if some writer said, Hey, Graham, I want to be like Ramon, what, what would you, what are the things you would tell him that Ramon did so well? So, it's probably unfair to compare the two. And I don't ride Irad a lot because it's very hard to ride Irad. But Ramon, I think Irad is, he's obviously a very clever, strategic rider. He's a very strong rider. Um, he, he has horses in the right place where they need to be. Ramon, to me, was a finesse rider. Um, 
he, he just had a, a knack of figuring out horses. And I'm not meaning to discredit Irad in, in comparing them. But to me, Ramon just had a, a real way with a horse, just the way he sat on a horse. He, he sat on a horse differently. He hit a horse differently. He had these incredible hands that uh, he, he just was able to finesse horses. And, and I think that was, he, he, he was, uh, it just put him a, above the other riders at the time. He was a very sympathetic rider, um, although he could be pretty tough with a stick. I mean, he, he, he would hit a horse hard. He wouldn't get away with it now. Um, but he, he, he's a, ro- a remarkable rider and just, just understood horses. And when you say, just to clarify for those who are listening, when you say it's hard to ride Irad, I'm assuming that because he gets tied up with a Chad or a Todd and you would lose him. If you rode him here, you'd lose him next time. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm not in New York, you know, obviously we run horse in New York, but I'm not a big enough operation to keep somebody like that. Like, you know, like Chad does or, or Todd does, um, you know, so even if I'm able to get Irad, there's a very good chance that he's not going to be able to ride that horse the next time because he's going to ride for one of those guys. And that isn't a, that, that's not a diss on anyone. That's just the way it works. You know, he's, he's the best rider in the country. Um, and for that reason, it makes it very difficult to get him. And if I want somebody to be able to ride my horse more than once, I'm probably not going to choose Irad, you know, although obviously we have ridden him with success. Um, I, I'm assuming the story's about better talk now, but I'm sure that it, it seems unique enough that it will, that it will, if it's not, you'll know, uh, the race in Sam Houston where the storms were so bad that the rider didn't want to get out of the car. Oh my God. That was Renee Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love Renee. Um, yeah, I was sitting in my, this was pretty early on in my career, you know, and I'm sitting in the, uh, in my house in Florida and Renee calls me from the parking lot and he says, I don't think I can go in. It's the, the, there's this crazy storm here. I don't think, I don't think they're going to race. I don't think I can get out of my car and go into the, into the, uh, into the grandstand. Um, meanwhile, my people are calling me from the backstretch telling me what's going on. So it was just this crazy scenario where I'm talking to Renee on one phone and my guy's handling the horses on the backside. I spoil the story by not remembering whether they ran or not. I think they did run. <laughs> you know what's funny is these jockeys i think it's because of all their surgeries gary stevens is so scared when there's a thunderstorm it's unbelievable he literally gets so nervous and he it's like he always says i got metal in my neck i got metal in my neck yeah renee was very worried that night um I have another great, another story about Rene that I always remember because now that he's, uh, you know, he's not able to walk. Obviously, one day we were rushing through Tampa. You know, we'd always get down on Tampa Derby Day and we'd all rush to catch a plane. And I had left like my laptop at the uh, security, and and Rene was like, "Don't worry, I'll get it." You know, and I remember him running back to the uh, to security to get my my backpack on my laptop for me, which has always stuck in my mind since. You know, he's. He's now in a wheelchair, but such a great rider, such a great guy. Um, uh, a quarter crack issue with Better Talk Now um, when you'd flown to Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, we got to Tokyo and uh, we couldn't train him because he had an abscess in his foot. And you have to get there pretty early. Um, I think we did two weeks quarantine before we even moved to the... Uh, before we even moved to the uh, to the racetrack, we had also leased out um, the silks. Uh, so 
there was a Japanese owner, Mr. Segaguchi, was wanted to run the horse in, in his silks. Uh, my owners weren't necessarily prepared to sell him a piece of the horse. So we had quite a lot of riding on this, this situation um, of, of getting better torn out to the race. Um, and really weren't, wasn't able to do that much with him. We did get him galloping, I think, the last week before the race, and then it flared up again, literally two days before the race. But uh, he actually ran creditably, considering how hard it was to get him to the race that day. Great experience, though. Great, I mean, amazing experience going to Japan. Yeah. How would you compare it, um, you know, from to... to... I mean, obviously Dubai is just a different animal, but their big days of racing versus our big days of racing. I've never been, I've never been to, to Tokyo. I've always wanted, always wanted to go to Hong Kong as well, but how would you kind of compare their big days? Very formal, you know, it's very regular, you know, very controlled, very formal. I mean, people line up outside the, um, the grandstand for days to get in for that, for that day of racing. Uh, I remember my, my team, I only got there a few days before the race, but my team telling me, you know, you won't believe people lining up days before the races so they make sure and they get a good spot at the races. Uh, it's an extraordinary following over there. Very different atmosphere, very quiet, very controlled crowd, you know. Before we move away from Better Talk Now, and I got a couple more with him. The first one is, the, and I got this from a number of people, but the day that Shake the Bank opened up 20. Yeah, I mean, I was a little concerned that day. Um, I wasn't sure he was going to come back. Um, you know, that I think we were a little bit pioneers with that, with, with Shake the Bank, and he definitely enabled Better Talk Now to win, um, to win a couple of those races. I, we wouldn't have done it without him. He had to have pace in order to, uh, in order to win Better Talk Now. And I, I give the owners a lot of credit because that was. Uh, that, that was a very cool decision. And, and you just don't see that many people do it. Yeah. So I got a couple of things on that. So what was the, what was the process of finding shake the bank? Did you guys already have shake the bank or I wasn't familiar with the story. So how did, how did you get shake the bank? No, we, we bought him. I, I want to say we bought him privately. We actually, um, we tried to claim a horse in California uh, who ended up getting hurt. Um, and then I believe we went out, Brent and the, the partners went out looking for a horse, you know, and he obviously he had to have speed. Um, so we went out looking for him and, and, and they came up with this horse and he became a bit of a legend, really. He was a real barn favorite. Now, I, I've always felt like, I mean, I, I look, I've, I have some funny ideas I'll tell you about that I about the uh, rabbits, but. I just, I wonder like nowadays, I, I honestly feel like nowadays, if there was like a certified rabbit, I worry that it wouldn't be digested very well from the public. And, it, and I think that's stupid, but I do wonder, do, do you feel like that? Do you feel like in this day and age, it, 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 it could work or do you feel like, you know, people would, would, would lean against it? No, I think, look, I, I get where you're coming from with it. It's, it's an awkward scenario, right? Um, I think the, the, the piece of Shake the Bank that did make it interesting was that he was somewhat competitive and he did hang in till the end. Um, but he had to be ridden the right way. Otherwise, it was a useless tool. I mean, if you just opened up by 20 lengths and left everybody behind, it wasn't really doing anything. You know, we tried to force jockeys' hands, um, 
you know, we'd wait and just try and force them to make an, a premature move, perhaps. You know, which is a little bit why better till now won the Breeders' Cup in Texas is because uh, the European horse, whose name I can't remember, made a premature move. And that's what enabled better till now to win the race. And that's really what we tried to do with Shake the Bank. But I understand your premises. I think it is, you know, in this day and age of everyone wanting to be so careful and so uh, worry about the, the, um, the you know, the, the taking care of the horses, I think... Uh, if it wasn't done right, it could be questionable, which is a shame because that's it's part of the sport. It's uh, it's part of racing. It's you know tactics are part of any sport. And Shake the Bank was a, a well loved, well meant horse. I I I told um, I was sitting a couple summers ago. I was sitting with 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 Chad and Saul Kuman and and Bob Edwards, and I said, "Listen, I got this idea. You guys, Chad, you should start." Uh, uh, LLC called set the pace LLC. You get Seth to chip in, you get, you get Peter Brandt to chip in, you get uh, Bob at E5, you get Saul to chip in, you get uh, like a black and white checkered flag, like a NASCAR silks. And you just claim a bunch of speed turf horses. And then you just always have, you just enter those horses and always have rabbits and, and you'll never, you know, and that'll be good for you too, right? I mean, it's not going <laughs> to. No, that's the other thing is it does benefit more than just you because everybody yeah. sets the pace, right? But, uh, and they laughed at the idea, but you know, if it ever happens, I will get a royalty. <laughs> yeah. I will. I'll, at least I'll try to get a royalty as, as, as much as I can. Um, Graham, uh, Bob Bowman, Michael Phelps coach, you, you've done some stuff with him before. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, Michael and Bob actually got in on a horse not long after he won the Olympics, I believe. Um, I don't think uh, Michael's financial advisors were all that crazy about it. Um, it didn't last very long. We didn't have a lot of success, unfortunately. Bob loves horse racing, and obviously he's a remarkable coach. Um, you know, somebody I, I haven't, you know, I used to see him occasionally. I haven't seen him much now since he's in Arizona. We stay in touch a little bit, but you know, a huge fan of horse racing. I don't think Michael was, Michael came to the barn and watched the horses training. And I think he was more interested in the cats in the barn than the horses possibly. So it didn't last that long, but very cool to meet him and hang out one morning. I remember hanging out with him at Fair Hill one morning. When, when you meet someone like that, you know, did, did he kind of have uh did you, you know, a lot of times I walk away from conversations and, and interactions with people and I say, oh, it makes sense to me why that person's successful. You know, if you, you know, it's an a interesting name for the last couple of weeks, but if you, if you see Mike Rapoli and you talk to him, you're like, I get it. I get why this guy has made billion dollar businesses because he's the way he operates, the questions he asks, that he doesn't really take no for an answer. He's, but he's interested, he's listening, he's engaging, but he's, you can get it. Did you, did you understand talking to Michael Phelps why he was so successful or did it not, did it not really come across in those conversations? I think he probably actually spent about a week celebrating after he won the Olympics. He was pretty quiet that morning. <laughs> <laughs> the mornings can hit you a little early uh, yeah, if you're not used to it. You know, it's early, right? So those guys weren't used to that. A few times already, you've you've mentioned Fairhill, and I've actually never had a chance to come. I've heard it's beautiful. I will come one day. I, I drove by it once uh, when I was heading. Actually, I was I think I was going back from the Preakness to Saratoga. 
it seems like that's home. That's where you'll always kind of base your operation. What, what, why do you enjoy Fairhill so much? Oh, um, you know, my house is a mile from my barn, literally. Um, so I can come home at any point of the morning, you know, in between sets. Um, used to be, you know, that was a big deal when the kids were going to school and I was able to sort of maintain some normalcy in, in what can be a pretty crazy lifestyle. Um, I can do whatever I want with the horses. I, I'm not beholden to anybody. I can take them out in the field. I can gallop them the wrong way if, if I need to later on in the morning. I can go to the dirt. I can go to the synthetic. Um, I just have so many options. I, I find it so restricting being on the racetrack. You know, when I, the brief time that I'll spend at Saratoga with my horses, I often end up questioning why I'm there because if it's going to rain for a week, you know, we're kind of stuck. Whereas at Fair Hill, I can just take them to the synthetic. You know, I have, I have our options. Um, we turn all our horses out. You know, everybody goes out in either a round pen or, or a big paddock. Um, it's just so maybe liberating is overstating it. But when you've been restricted at the track as to what you can do, it's, it's just very, I feel very fortunate to be at Fair Hill. It's a beautiful place. It's beautiful to wake up every morning. And, and go to work at Fairhill is I'm, I'm very fortunate. What's the thing that you do at Fairhill the most often that you couldn't do at the racetrack? Like, I mean, do you, uh, is it like an open gallop in a field? Do you do that often? Like what are, what are the things that you, yeah. what's I mean, the thing you do the most? Take a horse like speaking scout. Who's been, you know, he was in California this winter. He's, he's come to Palm Meadows. Um, he's a, he's a difficult horse to gallop, not unmanageable, but he's just hard on himself. I mean, I have, I've only taken him to the track to breeze, um, the last two times at Fair Hill. Otherwise he just does not go to the track. He just goes to a field and gallops and, you know, whether or not it'll show in the results, he's just a happier horse because of it. And he's not, he's not taking so much out of himself every day. It's just easier on him and, and, and his handlers, you know? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he was third in the Pegasus World Cup turf, so yeah, and it's not, not like run poorly training on the track, but it just gives us another option with him uh, where he doesn't have to do so much of it. He, he doesn't have to be so aggressive. Now, is that is it feel is it like is it uphill or how does that work? Uh, it depends. I mean, we do have uphills, um, but mostly you know behind my barn, I have about a a quarter of a mile gallop that we use that they'll go around several times and then they'll finish up galloping uphill. So you also don't have to do as much with them um, when they're doing that, you know, you can go a little slower. Um, so it's, th there are other options, um, but I tend to go to the same place every day to kind of keep things simple, but we have thousands of acres we can use here. Really. Handicapping question. I, I'm a terrible handicapper. No, no, this is a, this is a, <laughs> this is a, this is a, I'm asking you for a horseman's answer to my handicapping question. So okay. you'll, you'll nail it. I've, I heard somewhere along the way and I've, I've tried to use it, but I don't, it's, it gets a little tricky at times, but that it's very hard to get a horse fit training on the synthetic to run on the dirt. True or false? I don't believe that. Okay. I don't get that because you just have to train differently, right? I mean, you know, we, I hear that argument at Fair Hill from some of these guys in the winter when we only have synthetic. But if, if you don't think you can get your horse fit, you've got to do a little more with it, right? I, I don't buy that argument. Okay. Um, 
if they run well on the turf, they'll like the synthetic. If they run well on the synthetic, they'll like the turf. Most of the time. Although, a, I say, the, the, the one caveat is I do find horses tend to kind of skip over the synthetic easier, obviously, because this is why people say they can't get them as fit. So it can be a little misleading. Most horses that I run on the grass, and this is why I think it's such a cool idea to have synthetic in New York. So when the races come off the grass, most of us are going to run on the synthetic. It happened in Florida this winter, um, sometimes with success, sometimes with not. I mean, all these synthetics are a little different. I think they all take time to get settled. Um, but most of the time, a turf horse will handle the synthetic and vice versa. So you like the idea that's been unofficially tossed around, almost officially tossed around in New York at Belmont to add a synthetic uh, course? No brainer to me. Absolute no brainer because we protect the turf courses. I mean, the only thing that I think we have to be careful about, which is a little bit what happens in Florida now, is they're so quick to take them off. Um, but I think, you know, on days at Belmont where there's a deluge and you cannot run on the grass and, you know, I'm going to run on the synthetic when it comes off, but am I going to run the dirt? Absolutely not. So yeah, you, you, you keep the fields together and you, you're, a, you're able to maintain, you know, I, I get to run. It's a big deal for us to ship to New York from here, you know, and it's, it's so disappointing when we ship all the way up there and they come off the grass. It's expensive for the owner. It's a long day for my health, you know, and those are just sort of simple, simple reasons, right? How long of a ship is it from Fairhill? Well, we leave and we ship to Belmont or Aquagrat. We try to get out of here by 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning to, to beat the traffic. So it's a long day. It's, you know, it can be anywhere from three or four hours to five or six if you hit it wrong. And, and I, I would think that also the difference between the, the way that you, you mentioned how in Florida where they take them off is that turf course gets beat up because it's so hot. I mean, I, I, would, I would think in, in, at Belmont that they wouldn't feel as inclined to – to protect it as much but it will help it because it will protect it i mean honestly to me i get chastised for saying this but i wish they'd do it at saratoga because i think the saratoga course gets so beaten up you know by the time you run the big races on travis day you know the turf course is not in great shape and it's nobody's fault it's just because it gets used a lot but you know you've got those big grade one races around those last weekends and it's you know you're just not running on on the best turf course Graham, describe that to me because I, I, I would, you know, look, I, I understand what a good turf course is and a bad turf course, right? You, we've heard people say, oh, Tampa has a good turf course. We've, we, we, we hear these things and we hear, oh, it's, we're running up, running on a beat up turf course or like, like, you know, not asking you to be a horticulturist, but like, what's, what are we talking about and how does it affect the horses? Well, I think for, you know, first of all, I think most Europeans would be surprised at the ground that we run on most of the time, as far as like the firmness that we run on. I mean, we really, you know, maybe less now and certainly less in New York. We, we basically run on firm ground because if it's not firm, they take them off. Right. Um, you know, it always amuses me when I go to England uh, with our horses for Ascot or whatever, um, you know, and I'll ask which gallops I can use and I'll say, oh, we you wouldn't want to use that one because it's getting too hard. Well, well, the gallop they're telling me I wouldn't want to use is, is in better shape than any turf course I probably get to run on all year. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's just in such good condition because they're old turf courses. They've got tremendous covering of grass. 
um, you know, we, we have a lot more turf racing than we than we used to have. And, and the turf courses get pretty beaten up and it's it makes it tough for the horses. In terms of like, in terms of, is it more of a, you, you, know, they're, you know, they're running on top of it rather than getting into it. So it's a little bit more, it's harder on them. I think it's harder on them just because it gets cut up. You know, it's chewed up. It's loose on the turns, especially. It gets very chewed up. It's very loose. Um, it just gets gets a little rough, you know. Um, I will say that, you know, people were worried about the Churchill turf. I walked the Chir- Churchill turf last week, and I don't normally walk the turf course, so I'm not trying to play out that I was clever or something. I just wanted to see it. You know, I was getting run, to run getting ready to run my best horses on it. And I was super impressed with it. I mean, I thought the turf was in great shape. And you'd kind of heard stories about it not being great. Um, but it, it was in beautiful condition, I thought. Do, do you I think... think it, I think it showed that how my horses came out of their races. You know, they all came out of the races really well. So that's what you want. At the end of the day, you want your horses to come out of the race the same way they went into them, right? Of course, yeah. Do, do you feel like our grading system here in, in the U S you know, good yielding soft, do you find it to be as silly as I kind of do from a horse player standpoint? There's no consistency in it. It's just complete nonsense. I just basically look at, was it listed as firm or was it listed as not firm? And I don't try to differentiate between good yielding and soft. Correct. It's not helpful. I, I really believe, and sometimes I think it's just put up to, to sort of appease people. I, I don't think it's helpful at all. I mean, it's either you know you're either firm or if it's it's either firm or it's soft. <laughs> I, I don't think it's very helpful. Now in Some... England they really get into it. I mean, you know, they've got guys that walk it and they measure it, and it's it's a big deal. And I I always find they're a little bit to the other extreme, you know, where people don't want to run in it because it may be like I'm saying, some of their turf courses, when they think they're too firm to use, would be the best turf courses we would get to run on, right? Do you feel like um, a lot of your, do, do you, do you, because here's one thing I've started to do a little bit more when it comes to grass racing, especially big grass races, especially in the summer when we have rain at Saratoga, I've become a pretty big believer in looking at horses that run well listed firm and then run well or not well listed, not firm. Do you, do you pay a lot of attention to what your horse is like? And, 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 and what does that actually mean? Is it an action thing? Is it a hoof shape thing? Is it, what would you account that to? I think it probably is. I think a lot of it's about an action. Some of it, a hoof. I mean, better talk now had the tiniest little feet and he always seemed to really handle soft turf. So you know, it's not all consistent in, in the data that you have. Um, but, you know, I do worry with some of my horses. I mean, a horse like English B, who's kind of an old warrior, he's kind of a, a hard-knocking blue-collar horse. I mean, I, I really feel like he likes to hear his feet rattle. He loves, he runs great at Colonial. You know, he loves a fast. He runs good in Florida. Um, so certainly, you know, I have horses that I do think prefer one over the other. I think some horses just handle soft you know whereas a lot of horses might not handle soft you're basically talking about some horses just handle it a little better than others you know or dislike it less than others right um so no i think it's a valid point graham i'm selfishly into this rabbit hole of asking you all these turf questions because like turf handicap like on the dirt i 
I see it very clearly. Speed figures mean a lot. Draw means a lot. Pace means a lot. And it's easy to kind of figure those out. Turf racing, obviously, because of the different different ground you can get and the trip you can get and the paces can get really wonky in turf racing. It, it, it's always been a little bit harder for me. Um, so I'm just basically taking the last parts of this this conversation just to ask you a bunch of turf questions. <laughs> I think turf racing can be incredibly frustrating because of all the things you just said. You know, you, you so often don't have a good trip. Um, there, there are so many more variables in, into a, a turf race, but that to me is also what makes it more exciting. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you know, just as an example, the other day when I I I, I sent you a message, um, uh, who was the one um, that I asked you about that won, but you didn't like the draw. I'm, I'm Clitheroe, yes, Clitheroe. yes, right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I liked her enough. I wasn't sure. I thought I think the outside draw at Belmont is tough when you go three quarters or seven eighths. Do you not find that when you handicap? It just seems like you're you're parked pretty wide and you're not very far from the turn. Yeah, I just look. I it's it's tricky there, and this is one of my things that I I, I struggle with because I think there's a lot of turf horses that like and need cover, and I probably could do a little bit better video work to identify which one of those horses which horses they are, but I hate getting stopped in races. I understand that ground loss means a lot, but if I feel like I have a better horse, I almost just want to be in the clear. I, I, I just want to be in the clear. I don't want to get stopped. I'm not worried about those 12 feet of saving ground. And so outside draws don't turn me off as much if I have a superior animal. I can't get creative from an outside draw. Like I, I don't try to, I don't try to, you know, Oh, this horse is, he had this bad trip and he's got this pedigree and he might want longer and he's getting a rider switch. I, I don't, I can't get creative from an outside draw, but if I'm best, I'm fine. Yeah, no, I, I think there's some truth to that. Um, I, I also think it's interesting, you know, we always talk about turf riders and you know, who are the best turf riders? Well, well by and large, the best turf riders are the best jockeys, right? Because they, you know, the turf is where you get in trouble the most and they're just tactically one step ahead of the game where they know, you know, they, they, they know to avoid those spots where they're not going to get out. Um, they just have an, a natural fifth sense for being in the right place. Do you agree with that or not? A thousand percent. Um, because I, I, you, 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 as a, the best riders in my opinion have part of the clubs in their bag is they have the best instinct which leads me to this question I was going to ask you, but this is kind of the way I look at it. Would you rather save ground to the quarter pole with the best horse in the race and then need a little bit of luck or tip out at the three eights with the best horse and have a clear run? Yeah, I probably would take the clear run. I, I, I do get frustrated by getting stuck down on the rail so often. Um, you know, I have a lot of owners that are adamant about about saving ground. It's not always the, the right way, though. It doesn't always work out. You know, you just got to have so many things work out, especially at a track like Gulfstream, you know, where it's it's so hard. It's it's so easy to have a bad trip at Gulfstream. You so often get buried down on the rail and just never get out. And, and the thing about it is, is you know, yeah, I get it. You, 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 you saved ground and you, you're going to have more energy. But I look at, I look at, and I, and I learned this a little bit with a, it's a weird Philly that I kind of learned it with was a newspaper of record where 
these horses have a gas tank and you know, think of your car, your car can only go fast. It doesn't matter if you have a full tank of gas, your car is not going to go 220 miles per hour. It can only go, you know, 125 and it, it takes a certain time to get there. What I don't like in those races that we're talking about where you get stuck on the inside and, and, and now you're, you're hustling, you might have a lot more in the tank, but there's only so much run that you can give from the quarter pole to the wire that can separate you from the other horses in the race versus from the three eighths pole. If you get out, you can get your full run. You can empty that tank and really get to that max speed of 125 for three eighths of a mile, rather than getting to 125 for a quarter of a mile. There's only so much ground you can make up in those situations. And like, that's how I look at turf racing, which makes it impossible to handicap consistently. No, I, I can certainly see the frustration for it. And, and like, and, and that's so anyways, it's, it's, but it, it, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, it's, it's, it's a, it's certainly an interesting puzzle. Um, but it's just hard to kind of know what to expect in these races, especially in New York when the, when the paces are always so, you know, <laughs> They're slow. And I have a theory for why they're slow. And I'll tell you what that theory is. But like, do, does, do, do the paces of these races affect the way you look at them in New York? You know, look, I'm, I'm the school of Jonathan Shepard. So I was kind of my whole, um, my whole philosophy is about getting horses to relax, right? That's how Jonathan did it. To me, he was absolutely brilliant at it. You know, we spent a great deal of our time getting horses to relax. Uh, and that's why, look, it's not, it's no coincidence. It's that's, that's why a lot of my horses come from off the pace because that's how we train, right? That's, that's what we do. But because of that, you do end up getting in tricky spots and, and, you know, it can be incredibly frustrating, but it's the way I like to train. It's the way I'm comfortable training. Um, it's just, it's just, to me, it has a better feel and it's what I've been, been brought into it doing i guess i'm not sure if i answered your question because i can't remember what no no that, that it's fine I, i'm gonna follow up into that now do you do you ever i mean how do you feel about a horse that you know will shut off that you have taught to shut off that shuts off consistently and shuts off well would you ever tell johnny or manny or joel to kind of send away from there or do you feel like if you send a horse away from there everything that you've worked on with them to get them to relax, does it go out the window? Look, I think the best jocks, again, have a, a way, you know, in this country, it's so different from Europe. I mean, that's why Wesley has done so well. Well, it's part of the reason why he's done so well. You know, our, we, we are so much sharper away from the gate than they are in Europe. And, and our jockeys tend to, you know, Edgar Prado, to me, whenever he rode a horse, he would always establish a position from the get-go. You have to establish a position, even in a grass race, right? Because otherwise, you're already at a disadvantage. So I, I try not to tell those guys too much. I mean, I'm lucky that I get to ride some some great jocks, and I I don't change things. I'm not a big believer in a, in a lot of instructions, but I, I want you know I I think if you ask any jockeys arrived for me, they will laugh about what my instructions usually are because it's sort of put them where they're comfortable, keep them relaxed. You know, it's it's a bit of a standard joke, I guess. So here's my pace theory, Graham. I'm just going to throw it at you, see what you think. 
I think in New York, the riders, and this is not a knock on the riders, right? Because they are, I, 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 one of the reasons I used to poke fun at how good Flavian Pratt is. And I know how good he is now. I'd made the mistake previously that he wasn't that good because he was in California. It's because I love the New York room so much. I think they're all so talented and I think it's extremely deep, but I feel like the paces in New York turf races, the reason they look like they look is because these riders would rather err on the side of too slow than too fast because too fast is much easier for owners and trainers to yell at them about than too slow, too slow. It's like, it's not on me. It's on you. It's on you trainer. It's on, it's on you horse. If I go too slow. And so I think they just all kind of erred on the side of going slower than going faster. Yeah, I think that's possible. Although I think there's plenty of trainers out there that don't feel, you know, that may not have the same philosophy that I have about how a, how a horse should be ridden or, or what have you. So, look, a guy like Louis, you see him take advantage all the time. I mean, he tends to be aggressive. He, he probably, I'm, I could be way out of line here, but you probably see Louis win more races on the lead on the turf than, than most other jocks, I would say, right? He's, he's just a bit more of an aggressive rider. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I think you'll see him forward in those spots. Obviously, Kendrick, you'll see forward um, Johnny. I, 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 you know, I think Johnny, especially at this age, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative. I mean, with all the skins that Johnny has on the wall, I think he's ready to lean into those conversations about you went too fast. Sure. You know, I, 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 I sure. yeah, like, we were going to argue with Johnny Velasquez about how he went too fast. Okay. Well, I'm in the hall of fame. I've won more races at Saratoga than anyone else. Sorry. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting aspect of it from a turf standpoint. Without a doubt. Grant, before we go, I, I, I don't want to, to leave without talking about uh, a horse of yours that, that caused me some problems. I got, it was the only horse I missed in the pick six that day. Uh, that was main sequence. Wow. I tried to get cute. I tried to get cute. He was a tricky horse. Um, you know, when he came to us, he had the um, he had the reputation of not wanting to come away from the, the stalls very quickly. And at one point, I was even worried that he might not want to break from the stalls, from the gate. Um, I think he, his was a progression throughout his races. Um, and I think when he ran in the Breeders' Cup that year, there's nobody better out of the gate than Johnny. And I think the horse had finally kind of figured it out or given up on whatever his concerns were about coming out of the gate. And I think he just really put it together that day. Very cool horse, special horse. He's still at my farm here, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's all. Was he a gelding? See him every day. Yeah, he's a gelding. And I cannot put another horse well. I can put certain horses with him, but uh, he's very particular about who you put in the field with him. He can be pretty nasty. It's funny, these old, you know, these old warriors like him and Bellator now, you know, they're very particular about who they hang out with. Now, and I got, I got this one and one more for you. If it's funny about that is I've always, I've heard that the, you know, especially from a Philly standpoint, the good ones are kind of nasty. But I've also heard the other that that sometimes the good ones are like puppies. 
do you find a lean either way or can a good horse come with any kind of temperament? I mean, shared account and sharing were two of the kindest horses I've ever been around. Filmmaker was very similar. I think they were very easy, kind, easy horses to fall in love with. Main sequence and better talk now were tough, tough geldings. You know, they were, they meant business. I, you know, we kept better talk now here for the longest time. Um, he actually liked the routine. I really believe that he would not have done well if he'd just gone somewhere and been turned out in a field. I think some of those old guys, they just get in the routine of what we do and they, they enjoy the routine every day of walking, getting turned out for a couple of hours. Um, you know, they, they, uh, they're tough guys, but look, of course there are some, some ornery fillies that, that, uh, you know, I'm sure some of the best fillies have the same characteristics. Most of the ones I've been around have been pretty kind, nice, nice fillies to be around. Graham, the last one I'll leave you with is, is look, I've, I, and I, and I say this, uh, with a high five and a thumbs up and, uh, uh, I appreciate a lot of the stances that you take, you're, you're, you, you, you speak out in, in an industry that sometimes struggles to hear another side of the equation. So I, I usually ask people, you know, what's one thing in this game that, you know, kind of sticks out to you that you would like to see happen differently. You would like to, to, to change a little bit to help us, um, you know, be what I think we all think we could be considering, I, I, and I'm not one of those doom and glooms. I, I think that we make some mistakes and we need to get a little bit better and we need to clean some things up and we need to be smarter and we need to be whatever. But what, what are some of the, what, what's the one kind of thing that you would focus on um, if you were given the keys to the, to the, to the castle of things that we could do to kind of help improve our, our situation in racing? Look, I mean, it's no secret I'm a huge proponent of HISA. Um, I, I train at Fair Hill, so on any given weekend, I can be running at five or six different tracks. I mean, you, you know our operation. We're not afraid to ship, whether it's California, whether it's, um, you know, used to be Chicago. But, I mean, we run in a lot of places. So the premises of not having national rules, national guidelines, is a, is a nightmare for us. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're stabled at, at Monmouth all, year, all summer and another track in the winter. We're, we're all over the place. It makes life extremely complicated. Um, you know, people think that medication positives are such a, a um, you know, you've got to be a doper if you have a medication positive. Horses are like humans. They have to get treated with antibiotics, with, with certain things, you know. We, we need national guidelines so that we're all on the same playing field. We need better security because there's a very, very small percentage of people that want to take an edge, like in any sport, right? In any business, there's always going to be somebody that wants to take an edge. It's not the majority. It's the absolute minority. But for that reason, we need somebody to oversee our sport better than we're doing it now. And I believe Hisser isn't without faults, but we have to give it a chance because that's what our, our sport is crying out for. And I think, I think, and I hope that given the chance, it'll make it a better sport for all of us. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, it's one of the things that I, I talk about privately all the time with friends and is, is the word, and we saw it, you know, recently, the word doping is very annoying word to me. Because when I think doping, I think performance enhancing, um, you know, I think 
I think uh, 62 home runs. I think Lance Armstrong. I think um, steroids. I think, uh, you know, whatever that thing was that by Barry, the clean and clear, cream and clear, whatever the, you know, I think like doping is like performance enhancing. And then there's this game where we have these animals that we're, 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 the sport revolves around. And then there's like, overages of therapeutics and, 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 and I think that your point is that the jurisdictions are different. So what you can do from a therapeutic standpoint, one place is different than you can do at another place. And the testing process is different at one place than it is at another place. And it makes it very hard to juggle that, that whole situation. And then when, when, when high profile situations get overages, and then the word doping gets used. It's very confusing and very convoluted and very inaccurate. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we had this conversation. We had a HISA. I'm on a HISA uh, medication, not medication. I'm on a HISA advisory board, a horseman's advisory board to HISA. And we had this conversation yesterday. Doping is Lance Armstrong. These, these medication violations uh, is, is what they are. They're violations. We're, we're all trying to we're all trying to control, um, you know, how we, how we handle the, these, these medications. Um, it, it's, it's such a, it's, it's a full-time job. And when every time you go to a different state, it's like going to a different country, they have different rules. I mean, I remember a long time ago and I'm not picking on Todd at all, but a long time ago, Todd had a positive for penicillin in the Breeders' Cup. No trainer is going to give a horse penicillin to run in the Breeders' Cup, right? It's, it's because, the, 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 the withdrawal times were confusing. It was a, an accident and we lived constantly in worry of having these overages for these medications that we have to treat the horses with because the guidelines change so much. So I, I really think, you know, I, I hate to harp on it, but I think at the end of the day, we have to give HISA a chance because, um, you know, they really want to do the right thing and they, they don't want to have these, uh, these strange, uh, positives, whether they're, um, you know, however they come about, we, they, they, they want to deal with them in the right way. And, and I think that's the way we need to go. Yeah, I agree. And then the last thing I'll say is I just think that, you know, as a, as a game, we have to recognize that, that although it's unfair, we are giving the public and we're giving mainstream media, we're giving them too much ammunition which is a not a great word in this country but giving them the ammunition against us and so we, whether it's fair or indifferent or they don't get it we have to tighten up so that we don't give them that you know the bottom line on esp in the last three weeks has been the most annoying thing in the world to me it's just it's not accurate it's not it's not a representation of our game or the people that are involved in it it's not a representation of, 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 of some of the names we've seen on the bottom line. And maybe, you know, it's just, it's just, it's an annoying situation and we have to just do better and whatever it is that do that makes it better. Even if it's an obstacle for certain reasons, like you mentioned, we, we got to try to, to do those things. I agree. Graham, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been awesome to chat with you and uh, happy Preakness week. Looking forward to it. Great week. Lo love this week. I want to thank Graham for taking the time. And, uh, I, I'm always amazed. Uh, I know these, these, these trainers and, and, and horsemen and owners and jockeys. You know, 
it's, it's a busy game, and the game doesn't give you a lot of time off, so I'm always appreciative when uh, they can find a little bit of time to chat with us. Um, look, if, if you're interested in grass handicapping, I, I did my hardest to, I tried my hardest to, to get you some, some ideas, some insight there. A lot of questions I've always had, um, and, and I think that getting those answers from Graham is very helpful. Um, I want to thank our friends at Guitar Racing again for supporting uh, this podcast. I want to thank everyone from In Money Media. I want to thank uh, uh, PTF, Drew, uh, all the behind the scenes, all the, the other shows, Acacia, Maggie, uh, Billy and Michelle, Matty Ice, um, Spencer, who else I shows? You know, everybody else. I want to thank all of our, all, all the people that, that support our show, the, the, the partnerships that we have um, in our network. We, we appreciate you very much. I, I hope that everyone has a great practice. I gotta be honest with you, personally, personally, I'm rooting for Mage. Um, I know that we did a, we had a lot of people that we had in the Monster Pod that bet on first mission. Um, so that'll be fun for everyone. A first mission can pull it off. Never upset if Brad Cox has some success, uh, a good friend of the network. First mission, that'll be my second option. But I gotta be honest with you, I'm rooting for Mage for a couple of reasons. One. This will be the first year that Fox and America's Day at the Races in, 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 in cooperation will have the Belmont Stakes. So why not have it be for a Triple Crown? Fox is uh, investing a lot of money in the, in the Triple Crown uh, with the, their involvement with the Belmont Stakes. So what the heck? Let's go ahead and, and reward that right off the rip with a, a, a Triple Crown chance. But also, you heard Ramiro or Strepo the other day, and so I'm always rooting for my guy in a situation like that. So, uh, look, no offense to the other connections, but, you know, this is a game where uh, there's certain outcomes that are better than others. I hope you have a good Preakness. Uh, I hope you can score out. And you're going to contest that weekend. If you're a contest person, get involved there. And uh, we'll see you next week, I believe. My plan is to do a podcast on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I am off to uh, Italy to, you know, got a little thing going on there. Uh, I'm just joking. It's a big thing. I'm very lucky to be getting married. My wonderful fiance, Jovina. So anyways, uh, if I don't see you this week, I should. But if I don't, that's why I'll be back prior to Belmont and we'll get started again. I got a video on the horizon. I think I'm going to enjoy it. We'll see you soon. I need to know everything, who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you'd be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk.